one of the most fun things about analytics is kind of having an open playing field to find out what works and what doesn't. So there's a lot of opportunity to look at a lot of these data sources and just use them for brainstorming purposes. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up podcast. And I'm your host, Kieran Conway. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Gail Buffington on unlocking business insights, harnessing the power of diverse data sources for anomaly prediction. Gail's the head of data science analytics for Millipore Sigma, a global life sciences company. Previously, she worked in retail as vice president of marketing and analytics for a women's apparel company. She also has over 15 years of experience across a wide breadth of data careers. Outside of her current role, she also serves as a training officer with the United States Army and is a Girl Scout troop leader. Gail, I'm ready to dig in. I'm super excited to kind of geek out with data and analytics today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Karen. So let's kick it off with, we'll call this a softball for the session today. Could you give our listeners like a sneak peek into your background and your current area of focus at Millipore Sigma today? So I started out in a retail background, really kind of within the breadth of marketing and analytics, really trying to bring a data-driven focus to marketing because I had you know, a heavy statistical background for my education. So when I pivoted into marketing, I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity to bring a little data to something that historically has been a little bit of a, a softer science within business. After getting out of retail a couple of years ago, I moved over to Millipore Sigma, where um, I'm heading up our data science and analytics team. We really kind of run the gamut from uh, website analytics, our business analytics teams, data science, data engineering, machine learning operations. We've really got kind of a, a broad skill set within there. And what that's really nice uh, for is the fact that it allows us to not only, you know, just do the analysis, but really do a lot of self-driven activities, you know, a lot of novel approaches to things, which I think gives us a leg up as opposed to just, you know, producing these rote requested reports. Absolutely. Curious, Gail, with your background in marketing and analytics, how has that helped you? You know, a lot of times in companies, data analytics is a tough sell internally to justify the ROI and the need to kind of use data and analytics across the organization. How has your background in marketing maybe helped you? I, I think that at its heart, marketing is selling something. And so marketing you know, background has given me the opportunity to essentially sell myself and my team's capabilities. So, you know, it kind of gives me that that leg up to be able to say, well, this is how we would define success in a marketing characteristics. So all I'm just doing is basically saying, you know, I'm going to turn this on its head and say, here's the value we can deliver if, you know, we're given X number of resources. It really actually is something that I feel like a lot of the analytics teams struggle with is putting a number behind, you know, what we're actually driving for the company. But that's something that I really try to instill in my team a lot is that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I can see that being a huge value of just being able to, to talk to those type of different departments and peers with your background. Moving into like the data conversation now in analytics, how do you use a mix of like internal economic and economic data to make forecasts that not only tell you kind of what's predictable, but also expected and reliable that these predictions can be used for future planning? 
in your organization? Yeah, great question. And, you know, I actually have like a, a really strong point of view on this just because when I came into my current role, we were in the heart of COVID. So, I mean, an anomaly was something you saw like nearly every day. And for us, you know, we actually, the anomalies we saw, you know, some of them should have actually been anticipated, but we didn't necessarily because we were still at a very nascent stage on forecasting. And what also kind of came of that is that, you know, not all anomalies are bad. There's a bad connotation to the word anomaly. You know, oh, something happened, something broke, something is wildly below our expectations as an anomaly. But what we also had were a number of really good anomalies. And we wanted to be able to say, well, how much is this going to affect things going forward? If we suddenly see a customer that we've never seen before pop out of the woodwork and buy 200% more than they ever have in their history, should we be investigating this to find out if it's something where they've recently been awarded a grant? They, you know, had something approved by the FDA, all of those kind of things. But we need the starting point to say, okay, where do we go? So... The internal data was critical, obviously, because it gives us all of that historical benchmarking and performance. But what was also equally critical was the economic and external data, because we could start to get to a point that we could look at things like COVID surges via, you know, closures of buildings, you know, air traffic, that kind of thing. And we could say, okay, with a COVID surge, that likely means that we're going to see a surge in these particular healthcare related companies who are going to be doing things for vaccine production, who are going to be doing things for, you know, masks and personal protective equipment and that kind of thing. And it really gave us an opportunity to say, you know, we need to be looking outside of just what's in our ERPs, just this, you know, very, not very limited set of things that said customer X bought Y on Z date. And we need to look and say, well, how are these tracking with all of these different external factors. And there are some things in there that you wouldn't even think would necessarily be predictive, but occasionally they give you nuggets of data that really actually do help you be predictive. So we had to like basically change the mindset to say, for forecasting purposes and looking for anomalies, we can't just look at the standard data set. We have to look at the influence behind that data set. Yeah, that's so true. And like, why is it critical to kind of approach anomalies in that way where you're like looking at it from various perspectives rather than just focusing solely on like a single, like grow revenue, or we just need to know what our customers are buying. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest things with that was that there are a number of leading and lagging indicators before a ton of anomalies, you know? So if you're just looking at something that says, okay, you know, this customer bought, 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 didn't buy. Okay, what happened? There was a number of leading indicators that led up to that. You know, there were things that said, you know, their session traffic dropped, the number of qualified leads on these forms in here went down. There was a whole bunch of things that should have been flashing red lights to say, I would not depend on this going forward. But we need to actually include all of that in there. <clears throat> so again, we're getting to this point where we're thinking, all right, it's not just about revenue. It's not just about this one key metric, take into account all of these things. Has their AOV slowly been decreasing by, you know, 2% every month for the last five months? Is that something that tells me they're 15% more likely to completely fall off on their overall spend in next quarter? So again, we really had to think about all of those different things 
And then one other thing that's been helpful for us is, again, taking a look at that external data overall and saying to ourselves, all right, what sort of external data for these particular industries are things that might indicate that there's going to be a crunch on research spend, that there is going to be all of these different things that wouldn't show up in our data at all, but all of a sudden one day could just hit us like a truck and cause you know this anomalous behavior. Same way in the opposite direction, you know, we actually saw with a number of things around like NIH grant funding, things like that, we were able to very directly predict, okay, this particular customer just got a grant. I bet within the next 30 days, we're going to see approximately X percent growth in their spend. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, on that same point, why do you think it's important to kind of partner with third-party data providers like a demand base in, in, in analyzing those type of anomalies. I mean, one thing that we come across when talking to customers about the importance of using other data sets uh, in their analysis is the impact of like data bias, right? If you're only catching those anomalies on a universe that is your first party data that you know about, it could be you know, skewed just based on what you have data on versus what else is out there that you don't know about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like maybe how you use third-party data providers to avoid things like that, like bias and understand your entire, what's going on in your entire addressable market? Yeah. So this is one place where demand base has been really invaluable for us because there's two facets to this. Number one is the, we don't know what we don't know, right? So there is all sorts of things that are happening you know, on our website, in the larger environment, what this, you know, cohort of our likely addressable audience is going to be doing that we have no visibility into. Sure, if a person comes to our site, logs in, and actually does stuff, sure, we can connect the dots there. But we're also talking about an, an ecosystem where you have maybe 7% of people log in. So there's this enormous universe where we're talking about, like, what are we going to do to tech this to other things? Then more importantly, even if we could get to somehow 100% of logged in users, we don't know what they're doing outside of this. We don't, and you know, they don't give us the information to say like, you know, hey, I'm X customer. Did you know that I have, you know, this many employees? Did you know I'm at this revenue band? Did you know I'm in this sub industry? We don't know that kind of thing. You don't, we don't know about what keywords they're looking for outside of what brings them directly to our site. So there's this ocean of all this data that we need to be able to capture and get to a point that we, you know, understand more about it. On the flip side of that, there's also, you know, tons of publicly available data that we have access to, but in many cases it is wildly incomplete or it doesn't paint a picture close enough to what we're looking for to actually get us to a point that we can use it for predictive purposes. So when we have something with like a demand base where we can say, all right, I have this particular data set. Can you enhance this with the attributes that are actually useful to me in being able to do predictive modeling with it? Being able to actually see that full picture really allows us to get to a spot where we can utilize some of this data that otherwise is very interesting, but doesn't really give us the tools we need to unlock any insights with it. Yeah, it's great. And a good example of that, I love the work we've done together in the past between Demandbase and Millport Sigma because it's unique. It's different than our standard use case of starting with your addressable market where a company or prospect is saying, my addressable market is in this industry, this size, this location. 
tell me what you know about that, you know, using those firmographic parameters. In your case, right, you're using a free government data set. And for anybody that's involved or working with data in the past knows some of the intricacies and challenges with using a free government data set uh, and standardizing it, cleaning it up to do, you know, making sure that it's usable for these purposes. But then also leveraging that as your addressable market because it's required at Milliport Sigma and then enriching and enhancing with what demand base can add on top to then hone in on who's in market within that addressable market. Can you talk a little more just for the folks listening to this reporting that don't know about NIH data or why that's important to be your starting point at Millport Sigma for what you do? So we were actually very lucky. And I think this was the reason that we allowed ourselves to be very flexible with how we approached the publicly available data. We're an incredibly diverse company. We're a company made up of mergers and acquisitions and all sorts of things. So we cover an extremely broad and deep market. So we didn't allow ourselves to really get as pigeonholed by saying, well, my customers are in X market. I want to know only about X market. We actually could take the tack of saying, I want to meet my customer wherever they are and you know, I'll find a way to address their needs. Or if it's something that isn't in our specific purview, at least it, that gives me some clues about maybe other things they're doing that are in our area of expertise, you know, things we sell. There are definitely some applications of things that we don't play in that market, but there are ancillary categories for those where we do. So they still give us useful information, even if it's not something that's an immediately actionable thing. So with the NIH data, so the National Institute of Health, this is basically a grant funding opportunity for companies out there. So basically, you know, it has information about all of the grants that the NIH has given out over the past year, the amount of the grant, the principal investigator, an abstract of what they're working on. So really interesting information. But the amount of information about the specific company itself and the details and firmographic information about that company is very limited because that's not something the NIH really cares about putting in this data set. This data set's about the research. So what we were using was working with DemandBase to augment this, to add in that information to say, okay, with this data, you know, tell me more about the company itself. Then we can use that data. And the combination of that plus using a number of like generative AI um, tactics and things like that on the abstracts and things like that. So now we've got a couple thing that says, here's all these firmographic details about this customer. Here's the generative AI that's telling me, you know, what the likely applications of what they're doing with this research are. Then we can plug it into our data and say, this is what they're likely to buy to support what the research they're doing with this grant. And it really just gives us a broad-based thing that says, okay, I've got all of these different products that this customer is very likely to have an extreme amount of intent for in the next, you know, 30 to 60 days. So this informs not only our marketing efforts, but also helps us inform things like share of wallet and things like that. Because we know if they're not buying it from us, they're buying it from one of our competitors. Basically, everybody that's in that NIH grant set is going to be a customer of ours in one way or another. It's just how much of their wallet we have captured. And so that's really important information to us too, because it can give us information about total penetration and where our opportunity areas are. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that story. I loved working together with you uh, on that project. Just something unique and different that we don't see every day on the demand-based side. On that same light, can you share 
Any other examples of how your team utilized or uncovered like a free data set or a public data set to you know, maybe enrich with a third party, maybe do it in-house, but it gleans some valuable insights for your organization? So some of the biggest things that have been enormously successful for us are honestly just going out to government websites and looking for some of the available data. And you really have to cast a wide net here because again, I think by nature, people want to see a direct association in their minds between things that make sense to them, you know, peanut butter to jelly, like things that seem to naturally go together. But what I think people have a little bit harder a time, you know, connecting is something, you know, that's like peanut butter to, you know, some sort of cleaning product that you need to, you know, to clean up after, you know, you make a peanut butter sandwich, right? So there's still this, this through line there, but it's harder for our minds to capture that. And so what we just did was we really started going through a lot of these data sets that we could find places on, on government websites. There's a great directory out there that you can just find by searching publicly available data. There's a great government website that lists literally hundreds of different data sets, ranging from things that are, you know, enormous, you know, looking at things like COVID vaccines by date, by city, all the way down to, you know, really granular stuff. But you have to have your eyes very wide open and say, you know, I don't see immediately how this could connect to my data. But let me think about this more. Let me play with it a little because maybe something will come to me. Again, I go back to the, the example of, you know, COVID shutdowns and airline travel, right? So as things shut down, airline travel went down. And that also, you know, so that airline travel then became correlated with things like retail store dips and all sorts of things where you wouldn't normally say, I assume that there's a direct correlation between how many airline flights there are a day and, you know, the sales at Target on X day, but there absolutely is in certain scenarios. So you also have to think about, you know, the extenuating factors around that too. Sure, something might not be correlated all the time, but when it is, maybe it's very correlated. So there's a lot of opportunity to look at a lot of these data sources and just kind of, you know, use them for brainstorming purposes. I think that's one of the most fun things about analytics is just kind of having an open playing field to find out what works and what doesn't. That's really cool. Um, very interesting to me personally, right? And, and you probably do the same thing just being in this business. I've been in the data business for 20 plus years, uh, working, selling to it, supporting it. So whenever I'm searching online and I find myself seeing it, even just personally, a free data set, I'm always thinking, I wonder how I could use this to <laughs> enrich and enhance it and, and either improve my life or provide insights into a new possible new data solution. So that's probably just how my mind works. I, you, you probably come across that as well, Gail, because you know, the one thing that I really respect and appreciate working with you is you're always willing to learn whether it's a, a partner or a vendor like Demandbase hearing us out, if we have a new idea or offering or just trying to better yourself, continue an education in the industry of data science and analytics. So with that being said, like for, for our listeners today, do you have any recommendations? Like, is there a book, somebody that's trying to better themselves in data science or analytics or newsletter or website or video or, you know, something around that that you would recommend? Yeah. So I am basically as you said, kind of a lifetime learner, because I told myself when I got into data and analytics that, you know, there's no way I will ever be 
the best statistician in the world. I will never be, you know, the best ML ops engineer. I will never be the best at the actual like root, you know, basic data analytics and data science things. But what I can be is I can be the most curious. I can be the one who, you know, is willing to say, wow, that's interesting. I want to dig into this some more. So my absolute favorite recommendation for a website that I just absolutely love is Towards Data Science. And it is a lot of user submitted stuff, a lot of, you know, great curated articles, but they're approached from so many different perspectives. There is something there for everyone from a complete and total novice all the way up to the most advanced practitioners. Like it is a lifesaver all of the time. I am constantly going to that and looking for inspiration and also looking for solutions because it's great that it actually approaches things from both ways. It gives you inspiration on things you can do, but then if you have a problem, you can actually go and search through and there's a guarantee that someone else has had that same problem and probably solved it in a very, you know, in an excellent way that you can absolutely copy and take back home for you. Analytics is basically like a team sport. Like there's no reason you should be doing it all yourself. You know, take what's out there on Stack Overflow, take what's out there on the blogs, use that. You're not cheating by giving yourself an advantage on on you know starting from a better spot. Yeah, yeah, I could certainly attest to your curiosity working with you, and I love that about you. Is there any inspirational people in the industry, data science analytics, that you would recommend either getting on a podcast for us to get on a podcast like this or to learn from that you could think of that maybe helped you along your career? Ah, let's see. In the B2B space, there's really, you know, there's a lot of innovation going on at the moment. We've always been slight laggers to the B2C space. I mean, the B2C space, it is what it is. They had the ability to innovate before we really had that, you know? So in some cases, we've been a bit stodgy, I would say, uh, in terms of what what we do. But I do think that there are a lot of kind of people out there in the healthcare and science spaces that are much more forward thinking on this. And again, it's the nature of kind of their business. So there are a lot of good examples from, you know, in our environment with my company, we have many of our competitors that are also some of our best customers and vice versa. And so, you know, while there is a healthy competition there, we actually learn a lot from each other because, you know, our businesses are very intertwined. So I think that there's a lot of interesting things happening at companies like Thermo Fisher and AdCam and things like that, where they're trying to bring the scientific approach into what they do. And then also, again, I mentioned the healthcare space, but I love hearing from healthcare data leaders just because they were some of the first to embrace a lot of the AI applications, just because their end-to-end for what they do is so protracted and long that anything they could do to speed it up was an enormous win for them. So they were much more willing to jump on some of these advances, not only in terms of, you know, things like drug delivery timelines, but also in their ability to do go-to-market things, to personalize, all of that kind of stuff. I really enjoy seeing how much more of that there is out there. And I really feel like there's a number of people out there in the industry kind of working behind the scenes that really bring a lot of thought leadership to B2B in the analytics area. Yeah, totally agree. And if, if this you know, podcast, what we're discussing today really resonates with somebody out there, how could they get, and they say, you know, I want to dig 
dig in more with Gail, how can they get in touch with you after this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to have people reach out to me on LinkedIn. I am luckily one of the only people with my name. It's one of the advantages of having a long and complicated last name. Please feel free to reach to reach out to me on LinkedIn at any time. Love to connect, love to network. You know, I try to make it out to conferences and some trade shows and things like that. So always looking forward to an opportunity to connect with people. And then hopefully at some point now that we're, you know, kind of traveling again, maybe actually meeting people in person and connecting and networking. Wonderful. Gail, I really enjoyed having you on our podcast today. Thanks so much for being on our show. Thank you so much, Karen. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV.